Hi, welcome to Influence Weekly, the takeaway, the audio version. You might have already read the email set that this uh, audio version is sent in. If not, go check it out. Um, you can read along. It's not a transcription. It's just some note, the notes that I kept for myself while I recorded this. Um, I do apologize if there's any flubs, flummoxes, or wrong information. I'm doing this on the fly, in real time. Um, and the three sections we're going to go through are, one, the best thing I'm going to talk about, what I think is one of the most interesting things of this week in the newsletter. And then we'll go through the five most clicked articles, um, give you a little bit of my own insight, and uh, just a little deeper dive into each one. And then uh, we'll finish with what's not in the newsletter. What did I absolutely refuse to put in and why? This week is actually really interesting. Um, it's, uh, it's a lawsuit that everyone's talking about in the influencer marketing world. Big lawsuit. I probably should have included in it. But um, the reason I didn't include it, and we're going to get deeper into this later, um, the big reason I did not include it is because I'm just completely flummoxed. Like, I, I'm totally out of my league when it, when it comes to this issue, and, and I don't know what side to sit on. I think um, uh, I've heard a, a variety of reasons why one way should be one, it should be one way or the other, but um, I have no freaking clue. Um, would love, if you're listening to this and you have any insight into the, uh, the, the contracts or the, uh, if there's any more information come out after I record this, please reply, let me know, and um, would love to know more, and, and feel free to uh, uh, educate me and, and educate the audience listening to this about that. So um, let's start at the top, the best thing. So the best thing this week is that Jen Selter launches a protein bar. To be honest, when I read this or heard about it, um, originally I thought it was like literally a, a, a drinking bar, a liquor bar somewhere. Um, but in fact, it's a protein bar that you can eat. It's uh, packaged and sold in stores. Um, by by the time you're listening to this, they've already had the launch party. It was on May 20th, apparently. Um, but this is super interesting. I love the uh, the PR around it because um, it, it it's not just a normal press release. It's not just like, hey, this is happening. Cool. She has a bunch of followers, and she's launching this this uh, thing. Um, it goes into how it sort of came about and, and how the um, uh, Jen and her management group and the, the company that's putting out the, the protein bar, how they work together and shared that process, the, the, the process to get there with her audience. So it wasn't just, hey, let's go cash this let's go sell this thing to our audience. They actually got to um, vote uh, on the uh, product itself, flavors, um, really interesting um, insight into that. Um, would love to see more of this, hear more of this, um, more of these examples of interesting, um, just different ways to monetize and, and keep within your own voice um, you know, stay within your passion and your interests and, and really help uh, help people out um, the way you're helping people out with your content. Um, then um, the countdown. So this is going to be five articles. 
Um, we're just going to start at the top and go down because I think all of these are interesting. And this week was in particularly was particularly interesting because there's a lot of analytical information, um, a lot of analytics and numbers. And so we got some really cool numbers coming at you. Um, I'm going to start with like what I found to be the most fascinating um, study of the week. It was uh, Julius's State of Influencers report, even though this report only su- surveyed 300 influencers, which is a lot. But there's another report in this same newsletter, and we'll get to that soon, that surveyed 2,500 influencers. But what's really awesome about this one? So Julius and Lipe Taylor um, put this uh survey together i loved how they got some analytical like uh numbers uh qual uh, quantitative numbers but they asked very qualitative questions um one um and i'm gonna actually skip a little uh you can like do read on your own but at the very end of this uh report and really the report's only like 13 actually 12 pages they have some advice for marketers now I'm going to read through them, but I and, and I'm going to preface this. I don't agree with all of this, but I'll get to why. So um, there's five pieces of advice, very qual- uh, qualitative inf- information here from marketers. And this is from influencers to marketers. Um, just so you know, that's where this information coming from. That's who this information is for. And the advice to marketers goes like this. Communicate clearly. So give clear, concise directions for the opportunity and the contract or the opportunity agreement. Be transparent with your expectations for the opportunity. Require adherence to FTC regulations as part of the contract. Super interesting that this is influencers asking uh, marketers to improve their influencer marketing program by being by asking uh, requiring adherence to FTC regulations. Super interesting there. Um, that I think comes from probably some some like uh, I, I forget the word, but basically they, they fear that there's some creators that are gonna do something uh, for a brand, not disclose it, and, and and that might look bad upon the ones that do disclose it. So let's like level the playing field and let make sure everybody's adhering to the proper um, FTC regulations, which is good. Um, Next one, be human. Personalize your email to the influencer instead of sending out a mass email. It goes a long way in showing that you're truly interested in working with that particular influencer. And and you'll be more likely to get a response. They put that in um, parentheses. But I would flip this around and sort of say, like, it's okay to do a mass email if if that's the interaction you want. Like, it, just from my experience of reaching out to influencers in mass um, before it is extremely difficult to tailor, but it's absolutely possible. I mean, I've done worked on campaigns where we only needed to really reach out to like twenty people and we get like like eight on board, and you know that showed in our emails. <laughs> like we were very personal. Um, I think this also goes beyond I, I, my advice to marketers in, in the same vein is, is to not have to send a mass email. Um, like work on campaigns and, and, and work on campaigns that have a very clear direction and a, and a very clear voice and really good fit, like right. Optimize for fit and don't optimize for like width and reach. Um, just make sure that you're doing the right influencer marketing campaign to the right audience with the right influencers 
and and I think everything else will be solved from there. Um, but that's a just a minor uh, opinion of mine. And funny enough that this opinion um, is in dis- in, in complete uh, opposite direction of one of the advice later. So so the third advice here is respect creativity. It's not just about the brand. It's not just about the brand, but the artist that makes the brand what it is. Trust that an artist knows about direct digital marketing. It's not a commercial game, but a connection game. Wow. This is interesting, and I totally disagree with it. Um, well, you should respect creativity. I think the the title is – the idea and ethos behind it is absolutely perfect. Respect creativity, but, um, you know, the brand shouldn't – it should not go. It should not be one of these two. It should not be that the brand heaves all of their um, create all of their campaign needs onto a creator, and also they shouldn't ask n- nothing. But like they shouldn't spell it out completely for them. So like it should be somewhere in the middle. Um, what I've seen the most, the best, is like you know when a creator can really be the best creator they can be, and the brand offers something of value far beyond cash payment or that is creative beyond the creator's abilities. So I've said this before and I'll say it again a thousand times is the best influencer marketing campaigns I've ever seen are where the creator and the brand come together and do something that neither could have done alone. That means that coming together for the sheer purpose of marketing something actually feels uh, feels good and feels like a great connection and feels like they're doing better than they would do alone. You know, that means that the ad uh, marketing campaign is not just an ad. And then on the creator side, that it's not just another one of their videos. Um, something I've seen is that shout outs don't really do very well because you're not there to be shouted out at as a, as a viewer, you're there to, to consume the content. Um, you know, Working in the the advertisement is is part of a creator's job, um, so let them do that really well. Um, yeah, meet them in the middle. So the la- uh, th- uh, fourth thing is remember the little guy. Small influencers matter too. They have a strong connection with each of their followers, and their followers believe what they say. Reach out to those under ten k. Okay, I I absolutely disagree with this. Uh, on a, on a few levels is, is not every campaign needs uh, smaller influencers. Um, I, I don't necessarily think like you should just remember the little guy. Like I think actually you should devote maybe 10% of your audience uh, or a budget to maybe an experimental like type of creator that maybe you wouldn't normally think about, but like, just going up a follower account here is a little strange. Like you're just wasting resources. If you're, if you just reach out to people under 10 K they, they, they do not like, like statistically speaking, we think like, Oh, they're high engagement rates. So they have a closer connection and that's just complete like bullshit. Um, Like they, there's, there's a variety of reasons why they're small and why they don't have a lot of reach. And you do want to actually like get, you want a good campaign through and through. That's it. <laughs> like just remembering the logo every single time does not improve your campaign. Um, just do a good campaign. So the last thing is offer val- fair value. Um, it says offer payment in whatever form equal to the value of the marketing. So this is going to be really cool. Um, later in, in this episode, we got uh, how much do influencers charge? And I'll go deep into that of why 
why are these these uh, charges so weird? Why why is this such a weird thing? Like, what why is pricing so weird in influencer marketing? I'll go into that later. Offer fair, fair value. Marketers do that all the time. Like, <laughs> marketers are not dumb. Like, the, the, actually, marketers have way more information than a creator does, and I don't know why an influencer. You're thinking like you're getting scammed or or something when you when you get a rate. Like maybe there are brands out there that are like trying to get something for nothing, but I don't think like they're working. I think it's like a pretty basic thing that like influencers are at least the ones that are worth anything know they're worth something and have some minimum insight. And sure, offer fair fair value is a fine statement to make, but it's not going to change marketing. Um, Cool. So that was an interesting uh, qualitative look into uh, influencers and how they think. Um, And I'll get deeper into this um, uh, later when we talk about how much do influencers charge. So Clear has a um, report out that shows average rates, and that's really interesting. So next up on the countdown in the newsletter is what Sherlock Holmes knew about attribution modeling. So Aaron of Relatable um, had two years prior done a study with um, with a client, and they wanted to see uh, how much lift did the uh, they were installing apps on the app store that was the the point and and they want to see okay given no other inputs if we do a, an influencer campaign how how much of an uptake are there is there in uh, app installs and they found that there was a multiplier of 300 to 400 percent in organic uptake so that meant that like two years ago they found out that like essentially they could just three or four X the number of, of trackable click throughs and trackable installs. Well, lo and behold, this was like a couple years ago, lo and behold, Google comes out and says that they did a study on YouTube and they found that, um, for every person that was clicking on an attributable link, there were four others who were not clicking it, but downloading a game, um, within four days after watching the video. Wow. So two independent studies from two different independent people or, or entities found a very similar number. So, so this is really cool. So start putting this on all of your all of your investor decks. Um, if you're doing influencer marketing, just 3x every number uh, that you have as an attributable link click-through or acquisition, just 3x it, and that's your real um, link. We now have two... Um, two pieces of information that we can uh, sort of use as source material here. That's about it. I, you know, if you're listening, I wonder if you've had similar experience or not. I am absolutely sure that that this doesn't exist for every single camp. Every campaign you do will have a three X or four X percent um, multiplier and organic uptake, but heck let's see if they do. I bet they do. Um, so how much do influencers charge? So this is a third article that we're going to talk about today. It's uh, Clear's new research that shows the average rates that influencers charge for sponsored posts. They, they uh, surveyed 2,500 different types of influencers across three major social networks, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. And this is what they found. Um, and it's called the Clear Rate Card. Um, 
let me just go through these numbers and, and then we'll talk about it. So the net, so there are four four categories: nano up to five thousand followers, micro five to thirty k followers, power influencers thirty k to fifty five hundred k followers, and then celebrity influencers were five hundred k and up. Um, and they found, I think. I can go through these numbers, but like, let's just talk about like the Instagram post. An Instagram post minimum, you're looking at one hundred dollars. Um, the micro five to thirty k, you're looking at one hundred and seventy two dollars. Power influencers thirty k to five hundred k, you're looking at five hundred and seven dollars. And then celebrity, you're looking at two thousand eighty five dollars. So, like, what should so so? This is actually. Um, an interesting study because this is not necessarily what marketers would pay, right? These are independent creators, what they've independently asked for. And I feel like this is an ongoing problem in influencer marketing that I'm still looking into. But generally speaking, prices are determined by an individual creator who has only the information available to them. They might have a little bit of market information. They might have some past historical information that they have from their own. Um, but generally speaking, they have limited information. And they're saying, here's the price that I'm asking for. Um, this is not what marketers would or should be paying. This is what they're asking for. And the benchmarks, let, like, let's look at some benchmarks. Um, you know, and a post that you have 5k followers is going to only get say you know 500 to 1500 views or impressions and you're paying a hundred dollars for that that's extremely expensive that's um you know twenty dollars cpm no more it's a hundred dollars you're talking about 1500 yeah that's like a like a 66 dollar cpm Whereas you, your micro, your power, and your celebrity, you're going to get a better CPM as you go up. Um, is that like sustainable? Like, no. Like, you're not going to get a hundred bucks if you have five k followers. Much. Um, again, so these prices are not necessarily what like spot on. I would say double or triple them as you go up. But like the nano, no one's paying people with 500 K followers, maybe a hundred dollar worth of product. But ugh, like this, these numbers seem really off from what I've seen in, in the industry. Um, but the funny thing is they look, they, they pass the smell test. They're like, oh, yeah, I would pay $500 to get in front of 500,000 followers. But looking at the um, power influencers, you're looking at 30K to 500K followers. That's a huge variety, like a huge variety there. And 500K and up, you're talking like, I don't think you're going to get anyone with a million, two million, three million, five million to walk in the door for 2K. Um, respond to you for 2K. That's like, these are weird average, oddly low averages across the board. But also, when you're looking at power influencers as, those, as what they say, 30K to 500 It's such a wide variety. So I think there's a lot of issues with this, this report. But it's super interesting. And again, this is something I've been looking at and I've, I've been putting a lot of these studies together and I'm happy to like go one-on-one -on -one if you're listening to this and want to talk 
deeper about this, um, these prices that creators are setting for themselves are are when you're when you have a low following are incredibly high, and then when you get when you grow your followers, it seems like they're like two to three x small too small that they should be really asking for way more. Um, but also delivering like. 30k followers is going to provide you very different reach than 500k followers and reach. And I'm talking about reach, like not just followers. Super problematic that this um, this survey take took in takes into consideration only followers. Where I would love to see, and what I'm hugely missing here is like what is the actual reach, impressions, what's the actual view count of these videos. Let's look at this like times it by some estimated uh, earned media value and see what like numbers what they should be really charging. Um, yeah, but everything sort of passes. The funny thing is everything passes the smell test. Um, even though they, they, they do this by subscriber count on YouTube and they do this by follower count on, on, um, uh, Instagram. Um, so yeah, that was, uh, I, I would say look into this pricing if you want to get a, a sort of, um, insight into the prices but i think you'll be clearly surprised when you actually go get prices from influencers there'll be much wider variety than than even they say in here um and this is the problem with averages is you're going to get a wide variety of prices when you actually go do the deal um so one here's an interesting way to work with influencers kellogg's so Kellogg's is now using influencers like creative agencies. This doesn't mean that they're handing over full control to influencers, but they're using influencers' insights, knowledge, and creativity to inform campaigns. You know, very much like the Jen Jen uh, Selter thing before, where you know she was part of the process in creating the product. Um, brand managers at Kellogg's are being trained so they can spot the right influencers for their briefs as well as use a mix of qualitative and quantitative metrics to monitor their effectiveness. This is why I love seeing these reports come out together, like the clear pricing. So you get some <clears throat> quantitative data and then you get Julius's qualitative study. So you hear sort of the challenges and, and, qual and qualitative works, and then you can combine them with the quantitative. And this is exactly what Kellogg's is doing when they're, they're combining um, insights directly from influencers. They're work using them, in the process of creating foods, they're working with them on creating the marketing. Great, 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 great stuff. Can't wait to see more. And the last thing in our countdown is the rise of the grand fluencer. God, that's all, that's hard to say. Grand fluencer. Almost three quarters of Instagram influencers are thought to be under thirty-five. This report or this uh, article mentions forty-two um, percent are aged eighteen to twenty-four years old. Yet. This, this showcases some really old influencers. And in, yeah, the top 10 senior influencers on Instagram have seen a 24% increase in followers since September 27. So is that good or bad? They've increased their, they've, they've increased a quarter. That's pretty darn good, especially the numbers that we're seeing here. So a couple of the featured grandfluencers that I really uh, enjoyed reading about um was uh, Batty Winkle, and she's a the badass queen. Uh, 3.8 million followers. Her bio says, stealing your man since 1928. Um, really interesting 91-year-old who worked in a factory for 28 years. 
And then in 2014, her great-granddaughter posted a photo of her in cut-off denim shorts. Um, Really funny. In her posts, she openly talks about health issues, including her hip replacement. Super honest with her her followers. Um, And probably really informational. You know, that's probably information you want to hear. Talking about motivation, here's Irvin Randall, who has 254,000 followers as, as part when this was printed. Um, and he's hashtag Mr. Steal Your Grandma. He is a very fashion forward, uh, very handsome uh, 57-year-old, and he's a, a, an actual school teacher in Houston, um, says he's, uh, he's a self-described sharp dresser and granddad of two. Um and also, he, he's very humble. He says he got he got he kind of got upset for a minute when he was called Mister Steal Your Grandma because, as he said to Cosmopolitan, he said, "I don't want to, I don't want anybody's grandma." I don't know if that was a humble brag or just a brag. Um, really funny uh, profiles of these these uh, very grand grandfluencers. I love reading this, and I'm glad uh, other people clicked on this and read it. So. The last thing of the podcast, the audio version, we're running down to the end, and it's what's not in the newsletter. So what's not in the newsletter this week that everybody's talking about that I refuse to put in the newsletter was a topic of um, a creator, Tifu, uh, suing FaZe Clan. Man, this is some serious allegations. Um Reading through these articles, I actually almost feel like I know less than I did when I began to read them. Um, It is, you know, it's classifying FaZe Clan as an entity who's acting as a talent agency without a license. Um, I spoke of this in the newsletter about um, a few weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago, about how um, in California, talent agencies need a um, license. They need to be licensed. Um, talent agencies do something very specific. They get, they cast roles in, in entertainment. Um, influencer marketing agencies or managerial um, entities like FaZe Clan are, like the question is, are they a talent agency? Um, as far as Tifu is concerned, he, he thinks they are. He thinks that the contract is complete bullshit. But how do you, how do you enter into an agreement um, and then find out, you know, later that that agreement is is bullshit. Is is obviously there's some kind of execution uh, problem. Um, and here's, <laughs> I'm I'm gonna sort of just tell you a personal story that I think shows maybe how somebody could find this out. Is is that when you're reaching out, say as a marketer, and you want to get pricing on a campaign, and you say, well, we already know, you know, a hand, say, let's say, like three to five of the creators we want to work with, you'll, you'll might work with them directly, and then bring on an agency to fill in maybe like 75% or like 90% of the campaign, you're going to get extremely different pricing, because not, and it's not going to be just because the agency needs to uh, make a profit. Um, It's going to be, you know, part of where are they getting their pricing from? They could be speaking to a manager. Um, I've done price. I've done campaigns where the prices came in extremely low, and it was because the the person running the campaign had a a, a very good relationship with the creators. 
so much so that they were getting pretty much like a friends and family rate. No one could have else. No one else could have gotten in a million years. Um, and so it seem it sounds like, you know, perhaps somebody reached out to uh, both of these entities, asked for prices, and then somehow um, this this uh, gamer found out that you know the price that Faith Clan was was offering is is very different, and they were t- it might have looked like or sounded like they were taking eighty percent, but individual pricing of a creator doesn't tell you what the entire campaign is. So like, man, both sides of this is going to be, both sides of this are really complicated. Both sides of this, this lawsuit's really complicated. I was doing um, reading of, of, of the laws around this and very, I'm, I'm very uh, <laughs> unknowledgeable about this, but I feel like I'm less knowledgeable now after reading this. And that's why it's not in the, in the newsletter this week is because, I'm still trying to figure it out. Um, if you have any information on the the um, talent agency side, um, you know I believe talent agencies would want every influencer agency to be regulated and, and, and licensed because that's the game they're playing. Every influencer marketing agency probably feels they don't need to be licensed because they don't they're not a talent agency. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. But please tell me something. Please let me know um, if you have any information um, that could help other listeners um, with this. I'd be happy to, to share it. Um, some expert advice if you have it. Um, thanks for listening. Thank you so much. Hope this 30 minutes was well deserved. Hope you're smarter. Have a better understanding of these numbers. And can't wait to talk to you next week. Bye.